0: Welcome back to Cartels, Conspiracies, and Camarena. I'm Jack Llewellyn. Over the last week or two, I started a series of episodes where we're looking at some of the main Mexican cartels from the past and looking specifically at the leaders of those cartels from the past. And we're trying to do it in a slightly different way in order to understand those cartels and those leaders maybe differently than they've been presented before. And the hope is that that gives us a better understanding not only of the past, but also the cartels and leadership in place today, and maybe gives us a different view towards the future And that that can be important, especially if you're in the United States and you're hearing, you know, politicians say certain things about the cartels. And as elections come up in the next couple of years, having a better and maybe a different understanding of some of the elements of the cartels and their leadership, I think, is important. Now, I'll acknowledge a lot of this also started from my dispute with a contention that was Given to me by somebody of some of some importance and significance who said, Cartel history is queer and consistent, and I just don't think that's the case and that 's why we 're kind of walking through some of these cartels and their leaders and and the history of cartels in Mexico we 're doing it in a personalized way, in part because one of the things that I find fascinating is thinking about what is it about El Mencho and El Mayo or what is it about CDS and CJNG that have allowed them to stay in place for so long? Or conversely, what contributed to the fall of so many of their rivals? And significant leaders and cartels. Think about it. You know, the Tijuana cartel, the AFO organization, BLO, the Zetas. To put this all together, I think it's a really interesting topic and and, and something I just find fascinating. So today we're going to look at the Gulf cartel, but more particularly, we're going to look at OCL Cardenas Guillen. And we're going to look at some of the things that he did and... Look at them in the context of the broader history of the Gulf cartel, all right, so with that wind up Gulf cartel some sources trace the origins of the Gulf cartel back to nineteen eighty four more or less and and again, we've talked about the the difficulty of really assigning direct or specific dates to a lot of things in Mexican history, or at least with respect to the cartels. But about that time, a man by the name of Juan Garcia Abrego took control of his uncle's marijuana heroin operation, relatively small time, relatively innocuous. But Garcia Abrego takes over, and then it gets a little bit murky. But... At one time or another, Garcia Abrega enters into a deal with the Cali cartel. This is about the time, and it's very similar, parallels some of what happened with Miguel and Angel Felix Gallardo. and I'll talk about him in just a second. But this is about the time when the Medellin and Cali cartels in Colombia were trying to find new distribution routes into the U.S., because the U.S. had been very successful in shutting down some of the routes into Florida and and that stretch of the United States, either through the Caribbean nations or through the Gulf of Mexico. So those become way more problematic for the cartels in Colombia. They're looking for routes into the U.S., and some sources say that... Garcia Abrego was one of the first ones. Again, some will say he was the first one, and everybody else kind of followed him. But Garcia Abrego goes to the Cali cartel and says, we have the routes. We can put you in a position where you can get your drugs from South America into Mexico and into the U.S. But but here's what we're going to do. We're going to take over. You know, it's almost like shipping. At, at the door of, or at the border of Mexico, those drugs become ours. We'll handle all of it. We're going to take all the risks, and we get 50% of the profits. So you have no risk, nothing to do once it hits the border of Mexico. And there are, again, sources that say, hey, he was, this was so cool, and they grew, they were super powerful, Um, and others, like Amado Carrillo Fuentes, uh, followed him, and Garcia Abrego was really on the forefront, lots of imitators, etc. Interestingly, as I alluded to earlier, those talking about how much of a visionary Garcia Brego was. Also, don't mention Miguel Ángel Felix Garrido, Juan Ramón de Ballesteros, none of that. Okay, so what do you believe? I don't know. Does it really matter? Probably not. In any event, though, Garcia Brego becomes notorious for good and for bad. And in 1995, he ends up on. The FBI's 10 most wanted list. And in uh, January of 1996, he is arrested outside of a ranch in um, Monterey, Nueva Leon. Some reports, and if you look this up at all, you'll see it comes from a little bit of a dubious source. But some reports say he was trying to negotiate a surrender prior to his arrest. But part of his request in order to uh, surrender included being uh, housed and jailed only in Mexico. Uh, He also apparently wanted conjugal visits from his mistress, medical treatment for his brother, different things like that. Apparently, the Mexican government said thanks, but no thanks to the extent that ever existed. He's arrested eventually is extradited to the United States, um, tried, convicted, 22 counts, money laundering, drug possession, drug trafficking, et cetera, and he gets sentenced to serve his time, at least initially, at the Supermax in Florence, Colorado. Currently, he is incarcerated at the maximum security prison at Hazleton, which is in West Virginia, kind of just outside of the Morgantown area. Um, you know, Supermax is supposed to be terrible. Apparently, he didn't get much of an upgrade when he left there because the, uh, the inmate's nickname for the U.S. Penitentiary at Hazleton, where he's now at, is Misery Mountain. Now, Ocio Cardenas Guillen, To just back up a little bit, he um, was born May 18, 1967, and he's one of the few that we've talked about that that's the only birth date that's assigned to him, so we're pretty sure that's what it was. Um, He's originally a mechanic in Matamoros. That's where he uh, was born, raised, grew up, et cetera. There's a gap in, in kind of his history. But following Garcia Abrega's arrest, there was a power vacuum, and there was a rapid succession of various leaders. Again, not exactly who and when, not really important for our um, discussion today, other than keep note of this as we talk a little bit later on in, in this program. So, Garcia-Bregos arrested, succession of leaders, July 1996, Cardenas again reaches the summit of the leadership pile for the Gulf cartel. When he kills somebody by the name of Salvador Gomez, El Chava, lots and lots of Contradictory information about exactly what went down or exactly the relationship between Cardenas Guillen and El Chava. El Chava might have been Cardenas Guillen's friend. Um, We know he was uh, at the the top of the Gulf cartel at that time, or at least one of them. Um, El Chava might have have also been uh, Garcia Brego's friend really not known but or it's not clear let me say but what we do know is Cardenas Guillen kills him and he then ascends to the throne of the gulf cartel and he changes it dramatically early on in his leadership reign he looks to recruit military personnel Specifically, he starts talking to personnel who had been trained in counterinsurgency activities when the Mexican government was particularly concerned about the Zapatistas movement in southern Mexico. Many of them were then transferred into anti-drug, anti-cartel efforts in the north of Mexico. And early in 1997 or so, so relatively quickly after he takes control of the cartel, Cardenas Guillen has contact with an army lieutenant by the name of Arturo Guzman de Sena. And he leads a branch um, of these highly trained anti-insurgency, anti-cartel, special forces. He ends up leaving the armed forces and takes about 30 men with him. I always like it. They're called deserters. And I guess that's lots of places say you know he deserted and he brought 30 deserters with him. Um, and I guess that's technically true. But really what happened is, you know, Cardenas Guillen says... Hey guys, come work for me instead of working for the government, and I'll pay you at least three times more than you're getting now. And they said, okay. So you can call that deserting, you can call that getting a better job, I, I guess. Um, you know, and 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 understand the time frame of this and everything. But importantly, one of the initial defectors was somebody in the name of Heriberto. Lascano. He ends up being the commander, the supreme leader of Los Zetas later on. And let me just back up. I've got a little voice inside my head. I am not trying to romanticize or um, you know, say that there's nothing wrong with what the cartel did or what C- Cardenas Guillen did or his bringing in the military. I'm simply saying that in that time frame if you walk up to a lot of military folks and say hey i can pay you three times more and you've come from poverty or you have family in poverty or even just if you're a reasonable person i mean sometimes that's pretty powerful okay so again not not saying it's right just saying maybe i understand it so this group that um Cardanius Guillen brings in, is really specialized, all right? They had been highly trained, expert sharpshooters, trained in a number of high-tech weapons, things that the cartels never had access to or really even an understanding of, and they were also um, capable of rapid deployment, and that's really important Apparently, one of the things that Cardanius Guillen did when he stepped into the leadership role is his style was more confrontational, more brutal, not necessarily internally but, but externally. He was going to press and and um, grow the Gulf Cartel's operations. And do so in an aggressive way, and brutally confront anyone who challenged him or any cartel that challenged him. So, um, during this time, there's said there said to have been several different factions amongst the cartel, almost of a federation. And there are some that say that at, at one time the uh, the Gulf Cartel was really known as La Compania, the company. Um. So they had different factions in different parts of Matamoros, different cities. They had um, the Zetas. However, that really was, and and um, you know you can spend a lot of time reading different uh, accounts and things. The thing that Cardenas Guillen could do is he could keep them all in line. If you were, you know, he he was able to avoid a lot of internal rivalry. The cartel was moving forward. The Zetas were powerful, but they, you know, again, kind of did what they were supposed to do as part of an organization. Now, we're going to backtrack just a little bit. and We're going to go to November 9th, 1999. And Cardenas Guillen does something that's really hard to understand in some respects. So, November 1999... Agents from the DEA and FBI had traveled to Matamoros with an informant because they were trying to get intelligence. They were gathering intelligence on the operations of the Gulf cartel, and they get stopped in their car. They get stopped by Gardenia's Guillen and about 15 or so of His henchmen, Sicarios, whatever you want to call them. Cardenas Guillen says, get out of the car. And they say, nope, not going to do it. Apparently, the incident then escalated. Cardenas Guillen says, get out of the car. I'm going to kill you. The agents try to go back and say, hey, (laughs) don't do this. Think about it. If you kill two U.S. agents, there's going to be a massive manhunt. Remember, the Kiki Camarena case was only about four and a half years. You know, guys, I I don't know if it was specifically mentioned, but guys, you don't want the hell that's going to come down on you if you kill us. Apparently, Cardenas again eventually says, All right, you can go. Tells them, There's the border. You know, head north, cross it, and don't ever come back. And if you do, I'm going to kill you. Here's what's crazy about this. Apparently, prior to this standoff, Cardanius was generally regarded as a minor player in international drug trade. He was kind of known but not really the DEA and FBI were kind of getting information on the new Gulf cartel. And what he did by doing that was put a giant bullseye on his back. And immediately after, you know, the, the agents get back. The first thing they do is they tell everybody what happened and things go Crazy there becomes a massive effort on both sides of the border to apprehend Cardenas Guillen, and it does take some time. But DEA, uh, FBI, U.S. attorneys are all now keenly aware of who he is. Numerous charges are filed against him in the United States, and there becomes a $2 million bounty for his arrest. So you combine that with then the fact that you've got the Zetas out there operating under the umbrella of the Gulf cartel, but being pretty damn aggressive. And all of a sudden, the Gulf cartel becomes one of the major focal points in the anti-drug efforts from both the Mexican and the U.S. perspective. Now, it takes three and a half years, but on March 14th, OCL Cardenas Guillen is captured after a shootout between the Gulf cartel and the Mexican military. And he's captured in Matamoros. And remember, we've talked about this a couple of times. It's kind of, I don't want to say funny, but it's intriguing that some of these guys, and it in the past and, and current day, put Rafa to the side because he was kind of hiding out. But you know, a lot of them get aren't found. In you know, I keep thinking of of um, Saddam Hussein, Saddam Hussein. Sorry, in Iraq, and and you know him in a in a, a a little cellar, you know, and and living in ruin and you know long beard and everything. And Cardenas Guin was basically living at home in Matamaros. So anyways, he gets captured. Um, apparently, and this is some interesting stuff, I think. Um, according to government archives, and I found this reference. I don't have the archives, but I found this reference in at least three different places that don't cite each other. So I think it's accurate. The operation to arrest Cardenas Guillen had taken six months, was carried out in secret. And basically, the only people in the Mexican government who knew about it were the president, secretary of defense, and the attorney general. And the number of military personnel involved in the operation itself was kept to a minimum, and that's something that we've seen in the capture of Rafael Caracintero, the capture of Ovidio Guzman, and others. It's also believed that someone by the name of Alejandro Lucille Morales Bentancourt, who was O.C.L. Cardenas' personal pilot and a former special forces intelligence officer had turned in um OCL Cardanius and that led to his capture. So let's back up. March 14, thousand three, he is arrested. He's sent to La Palma prison it is widely reported that while he was in La Palma prison, he still effectively ran the Gulf cartel. And he essentially was able to continue his political mastery of keeping all the different factions pretty much in line. There's also reports um, from PGR, El Universal, a couple of other places That at one point, there was actually an alliance between Ocio Cardenas and Benjamin Ariano Felix. Um, But exactly how that played out, I'm not 100% sure and and couldn't really figure out, um, at least in in some cursory research. All right. Uh, Cardenas Guillen is extradited to the United States in 2007. Convicted on 22 federal charges, sentenced to 25 years in prison. News reports from the Times said the courtroom was locked and the public was prevented from attending or witnessing any of the proceedings. About $30 million worth of his assets were seized and distributed among several Texas law enforcement agencies and apparently two helicopters were um, sent to the Business Development Bank of Canada and GE Canada Equipment Financing. If, when I said he was convicted of 22 federal charges and sentenced to 25 years, you said, God, that doesn't seem like a lot. Well, the rumors are that the 25-year sentence was in exchange for his agreement to collaborate with the United States, and to cooperate and in providing intelligence and those sorts of things. Cardenas was initially sent to ADX Florence Supermax, and uh, then he was transferred to the Penitentiary uh, Florence High, then to Lewisburg. and now he's in Terra Haute. Now. Going from uh, Florence to Florence High, that's a step down. That's in the same place. So, and we're going to, I'm going to drive down there in the next couple weeks, and I'm going to show everybody pictures of this. But the the Supermax at Florence has two facilities. It has Supermax, where nobody can go, nobody goes outside, uh, all that stuff. And then there is Florence High, not high school, high security, right next door where things are not good but not as bad as Supermax. So um Cardenas Guillen goes from Supermax to the high security prison, then to the medium security prison in Lewisburg, then he goes to Terre Haute, which is actually more secure than Lewisburg, but interestingly and I'm just bringing this up I don't know if it's the case, but um the Penitentiary at Terra Haute is a care three uh, facility or care level three facility, so it's somebody who has serious health problems that are not major enough to warrant hospitalization there's a couple of facilities like that there's also one in Springfield, Missouri where Juan Ramon matabioteros is, but perhaps that's the reason that uh, Cardenius Guillen was transferred, kind of up on the scale of security, and is now at Terre Haute. So, Cardenius Guillen arrested does an okay job of managing the cartel while he's at La Palma in Mexico. Once he gets extradited, things start to change. Once he's at Supermax, they change dramatically, and by 2010. All hell has broken loose, and the Zetas and the Gulf cartel officially split. Zetas go on their own, become the notorious group that uh, that we know about. They, again, then have a serious uh, target on their backs. They become, along with AFO, two of the primary targets of both Mexican and US law enforcement, several subgroups at one point or another for the uh, the Gulf cartel, some of which exist today in one form or another, you know, you have Los Rojos, Los Lobos, Los Pelones, some of those groups still exist, some people say that they are um, part of the, the Gulf cartel still. It's just not in the same form it was doesn't really matter much now, as we know, the Gulf cartel made the news recently early March. several Americans crossed the border of Matamoros for reasons that we're not a hundred percent sure they get kidnapped. a couple of them end up dying. Some claim it was a case of mistaken identity that they looked like drug dealers, even though they apparently were not, Um, you know, in any event tragedy happens, a couple of these kidnapped um, people die. And then as you know, international concern is welling up as people are getting very concerned, especially on the U S side of the border five tied up people are found basically given up in Matamoros and they have a note with them the note apparently says the gulf cartel grupo escorpiones i said that wrong escorpiones strongly condemns the events of friday march 3 in which unfortunately an innocent working mother died and four American citizens were kidnapped, of which two died. For this reason, we have decided to hand over those involved and directly responsible for the events who at all times acted under their own determination and in discipline and against the rules in which the cdG has always operated so these guys get arrested they they're um being dealt with. Think of this however you want. Is this evidence of the CDG still existing in some form or fashion? Probably. Uh it, it also defines at least the fact that there are subgroups within CDG or the Gulf Cartel. It also shows that um you know that they're aware of pressure both from mexican government u s government and and even just the media exposure, so interesting that's uh basically the history of the Gulf cartel, again, in a highly abbreviated form, but as I said at the beginning, one of the things I wanted to focus on were the personalities and and things that happened and you know if you think about this. Cardenas Guillen seems to have been pretty smart, right? I mean, he he takes control, he expands the operations, he gets the the Zetas group, whether you know, gets the military people to join on. He has various factions in Matamoros and other places. He keeps them all in line, and then for some reason, we have this confrontation with F- fbi and dea agents and if people understand that better what the logic was there um you know please let me know i'm i'm i, I find this really interesting from a psychological uh standpoint okay next week is easter so we probably won't have an episode next week. The next planned one is to talk about Erbierto Lascano and the Zetas. Again, wanting to do it more in that personalized way and look at the leadership style, the leadership decisions, and see how that informs our understanding of the past and the present. Quick side note, starting next week on the YouTube channel, we're going to have a three part or three videos talking about the abduction of agent Camarena February 7 1985 outside the American consulate in Guadalajara I'm going to be able to show some videos some pictures some diagrams that obviously can't show here so if you're at all interested in that um, take a look as i say it should First episode should be up by about Wednesday of this week. So look for that. Uh, If we don't have an episode on Easter, happy Easter to all of those who celebrate. And for everyone, including those who celebrate on Easter, have a great week. We will be back again on Cartels, Conspiracies, and Camarena.